Likutei Sichos, Chelek Tezayin, that's volume 16, the first Sicha for Purim. This Sicha is actually a very long one. It has 20 chapters in total. We're only going to cover half of the Sicha. That's the first nine chapters of the Sicha, which in itself is an entire topic, very stimulating, actually very exciting about what took place in the establishment of the festival of Purim. The second part of the Sicha is this whole concept, this whole topic, but through the lens of Hasidus and Kabbalah. We're actually going to encounter some very interesting uh, rules that the Rebbe would typically engage in, namely in the reconciliation between the two uh, Gemaras, the two uh, Talmudical works, namely the Bavli and the Yishalmi, the Babylonian Talmud, and the Israeli Talmud. And it's actually going to be very interesting, even for somebody who doesn't have experience in studying neither the Bavli or the Yishalmi. I would suggest that before we start the Sicha, perhaps you pause it now and just familiarize yourself with two verses from the Megillah. That's in chapter 9, verse 31 and verse 32. I believe also that we're going to get an interesting glimpse into the Mordechai of our generation, of course, the Rebbe, who is the Mordechai of our generation, and his connection and attitude to us and for us. Let's begin. In the Gemara, in Maseches Megillah, which discusses the various aspects of Purim, the Gemara shares what happened in the establishment of this festival. So the Gemara says that Esther sent, she sent a request to the Chachamim, to the sages of the generation, to the Sanhedrin, and she asked them, Kov'uni lidoires, please establish me, mean establish the festival of Purim, or as we'll see later, the reading of the story of Purim for all future generations as a mitzvah. Later, the Gemara relates that she had yet another request. The second request was, Kisvuni Lidores, please record me, write me down for all generations. And that is the writing, the actual Megillus Esther as we have it, and that it should be included in the Tanakh, in the scriptures. In other words, that initially she asked them that there should be a mitzvah established, that the Megillah, the story of Purim, should be read in general, but not necessarily from the actual Megillah. It could, in other words, it could be just read as a story. And then later she added further that it should be established, that it should be written in such a manner that the reading which she had previously requested should be done specifically from that writing, from that scroll. That's as far as the Babylonian Talmud records what took place. However, in the Yerushalmi, in the Israeli Talmud, it says that, quote, Mordechai and Esther sent a request to the Chachamim to establish, to take upon themselves for all future generations, these two days as days of festivity, of days of feasting, days of sending Mishloach Manis, as we, as we actually uh, celebrate Purim nowadays. The question is, what actually happened? 
Did it happen as it's recorded in the Talmud Bavli? Or did it happen as it's recorded in the Talmud Yerushalmi? Now, there are two issues here. Number one, there seems to be a contradiction. There seems to be a debate, an argument between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, which is a problem. Because remember, they're both one Torah. And they both have to be, so to speak, reconciled. And that actually is a rule. And it's a rule which we find very often in the Rebbe's way of learning, in the Rebbe's way of teaching, that whenever possible, we try to reconcile that which seems to be contradictory between the Talmud Bavli and the Talmud Yerushalmi. And another issue that's at hand is very is quite obvious, is there's a, there's a rule, and it's a logical rule, that you cannot have a machloikis, you cannot have a debate in an actual fact. A debate you can have in a theory, in a logic, but in what took place, it either took place this way or it took place that way. So how do we reconcile this? So the Rebbe says, perhaps we can suggest that all these three things happened. It's just that the Bavli chooses to emphasize that which the Bavli emphasizes and highlights, and the Yerushalmi highlights that which it highlights, and we'll find out soon why. So, we can say that the first request that, that uh, Esther requested was the first phase was she requested that it should, be written, it should be read. The second phase was that it should be read as a part of the Tanakh. And that came exclusively from Esther. However, the Yerushalmi is, is highlighting, emphasizing the initial request, which is to establish the, the festival of Purim in the first place. As a day of festivities, as, a, as not only a day, but two days, because it's both the regular Purim and the Shushan Purim, as two days of festivities. And this came from both of them, Mordechai and Esther, collaborating together in this request. So now let's break down these three things, and let's see actually how this is even hinted, or more than just hinted, in the Megillah itself. If you look at chapter 9, in the Megillah, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, verse 31, over there it says that the Yidin took upon themselves, when we say the Yidin, we mean Bezdin, on behalf of the Yidin, the Sanhedrin, the Chachamim, on behalf of all of us, for all future generations, they took upon themselves, quote, Lekayim, to fulfill these day of Purim, these days of Purim, as days of festivities, as days of Mishloach Monais, days of feasting, and so on and so forth. And what does it say there? As Mordechai the Yehudi and Esther the queen established and accepted upon themselves. So there you see clearly that when it came to the general, the general um, commemoration of Purim, that was done by the two of them. However, in the following Pasuk, what does it say? It says, Umamar Esther and the ordinance of Esther Kiyam divrei hapurim me'elo was validated by these day, the words of Purim, meaning these words, the words of the Megillah, and the Pasuk concludes, the verse concludes, v'nichtov basefer, and it was written down in the scroll. Thus you see that in this verse, this latter verse, it explicitly says only Esther, and it has a direct reference to the reading, the words of these words of Purim, and the fact that it was written down that it was written in a book 
and as we know it, as part of the Tanakh. So we need to understand, what really is the difference? Why is it that Mordechai was involved in one phase of the request versus Esther who was involved not only in the first phase of the request, but later exclusively on her own in the, in the part of requesting that it be recorded in a Sefer, that it be recorded to be read from the Sefer. In other words, the general idea of celebrating Purim, that was established by Mordechai as well as Esther. Whereas the actual writing was specifically requested and brought about by Esther by Esther alone, by Esther exclusively, and Mordechai was not present in that, so to speak. This actually puts us in a point, in a place, forces us, so to speak, to conclude, to deduce that Mordechai himself has, so to speak, two aspects to him. There is the Mordechai, as he is the Mordechai. We'll find out soon what that means. And that only necessitates, so to speak, not the writing of the Megillah, not the writing of the story of Purim, rather only the general celebration versus the Mordechai as we know him, as he is a part, as he is a member, in fact, the leader of the Sanhedrin who later agreed to the request of Esther. And that's why we have the book of Esther. And, and, and not only do we have the book of Esther, but it is part, it was incorporated in the Tanakh, in the scriptures. In order to understand this better, let's also get a little better understanding of what this means. The writing of the Purim. What is the really the vital point what is the importance of the writing of this, of this story, recording it down in a sefer and making it part of the Tanakh? So the Gemara elsewhere, and this is a Gemara in Meseches Yuma, it relates as follows. It says, quote, Why is Esther compared, why is Esther metaphorically compared to the Shachar, to the Dawn? Now, what is it referring to? If you look in Tehillim, if you look in, the, in, the, in chapter 22, it says over there, This is a, a song which is about the Ayeles HaShachar. HaShachar means the dawn. And we all know that this hints to the story of Purim, where it says, Keli, Keli, Lama Zaftani, Hashem, why did you leave me? Why did you forsake me? And it basically goes into, very poetically, the story of Purim. In fact, some have a custom to say this, this chapter, to recite it on Purim, in connection to the Ness of Purim. So the Gemara says, why is Esther compared to the Shachar? Why is she compared to the dawn? Says the Gemara, quote, to tell us, just like the dawn is the end of the night, the very end of the darkness, so to Esther is, quote, the end of all miracles. And the Gemara qualifies this. What does it mean she's the end of the all, all the miracles? We know that there is another major miracle which we celebrate, and it's another major festival which occurred years after the story of Purim, namely the miracle of Hanukkah, where obviously that had to happen after Purim because that happened during the second Beis Hamikdash, during the era of the second Beis Hamikdash, which is clearly after Purim because the second Beis Hamikdash was built after the miracle of Purim or even in connection with the miracle of Purim. Thus, the Gemara asks, what is meant by this when we say that Esther is the end of all the miracles? So the Gemara says that you cannot compare a miracle which has been recorded, 
which has been written as part of the Torah, as part of the Tanakh, to a miracle, that namely the miracle of Purim, to a miracle like Hanukkah, which is not recorded. So the Rebbe says, looking at this, what do you get from this? What can we deduce from this? That the fact that it's written enhances the status of the nest. It actually transforms the status of the nest. This nest, this miracle stands on a whole different level even than that of Hanukkah. Even than that of Hanukkah. Now going back to the difference between Esther and Mordechai, to get an understanding how this all connects. So if we really if we look at the story of Purim, take a moment to examine what took place, we can find a clear distinction between Mordechai's role and what he affected and Esther's role and what she affected. What did Mordechai do? Mordechai's main objective, so to speak, was to work with the Jews, to affect the Yidin, to affect the Jewish people to do tshuva. In fact, even though it was Esther who suggested or directed him to go leich kenoises kolayudim, go gather all the people and have them fast and pray and so on. But in fact, who was the one who implemented it? Who was the one who occupied himself with this task? It was Mordechai. Mordechai was the one who brought the Yidin to do tshuva. On the other hand, Esther was the one who went to Achashverosh, and then she is the one who made the parties. She is the one who did the pu'ulas, the act of bringing about the nes through what we would call more of a Gashmizdika form. In other words, if you had to put it in two categories, Mordechai was the one who was affecting the nes milmaila from above. In other words, by the Yidin doing tshuva, this would trigger from above the willingness and therefore the effectiveness of the nes, of the miracle. And Esther was doing her part. She was playing her role from down below, from here in this world, going about the, the, uh, the steps that were needed to be taken in order to effect a change of heart by Cheshverosh and bring about the miracle. And now we can understand how this expresses itself in what Mordechai requested along with Esther in a general sense, and then later what Esther requested exclusively and in particular. You see, Mordechai, he affected the Jewish people in a very spiritual manner. We all know that something major took place during the story of the Gzeir, of the decree, and then the miracle of Purim. And that has to do with Matan Torah. The Gemara explains that all the way up until this time, there was always an air of, so to speak, doubt over the true and absolute acceptance of the Yidin of Matan Torah. Because all along there was always this argument, so to speak, that the Yidin didn't full-heartedly accept the Torah. Why? Because Hashem was so kind to them. Hashem was overpouring with kindness and miracles and closeness to the Yidin that perhaps when they accepted the Torah, it was maybe somewhat of a coerced acceptance. Versus when they accepted it in the time of the Gezerah of Haman, of the decree of Haman. And like the Alter Rebbe explains, that if there was a Jew that would have chas v'shalom denounced his, his or her Judaism, his or her affiliation to Judaism, they would have been spared. And yet not one Jew, not one Jew 
volunteered to do so. Not one Jew did so. Every single Jew accepted the fact that there's a decree and announced and pronounced the fact that he or she belongs and is connected to the Torah. And this is the ultimate conclusion of Matan Torah. This actually stands parallel in a, in a way to what took place on Yom Kippur after the Yidden sinned with the eagle and they came back and they were reunited with the Torah and in a much greater and stronger force. And that actually explains another very interesting thing. We do find that when Mordechai, in his initial request to establish Purim as a Yontif, Mordechai actually requested that it should be a day parallel to Yom Kippur, which is even more than a regular Yontif, that it should be Asr b'Melacha. It should be a day in which you're forbidden to do any mundane tasks, just like on Yom Kippur. Why? Because Mordechai approached it from a spiritual perspective, from a spiritual standpoint. This is a very spiritual day. This is something that needs to be commemorated in a very spiritual manner. A day of, of commemoration and a day of reflection. And therefore, Mordechai requested only that they do certain rituals. Obviously, they are Gashmi's Dika rituals. They involve Gashmi's. But at the same time, it's not the Gashmi's that it's the ultimate objective. But rather, through doing those rituals, they trigger the commemoration, the memory, and therefore the reflection in a spiritual manner. And that was Mordechai's objective. That was Mordechai's interest. And that's why he only requested that they establish it as days of Yontif to do those rituals, which would trigger the memory by having a feast, by having Rishleach Monis. That brings about the commemoration of the day and therefore the reflection. Whereas Esther who was involved, so to speak, in the material, in the physical aspect of this miracle, Esther's focus was not as much or not exclusively on the spiritual aspect of what took place here, but rather on the actual miracle that the Jewish bodies, that the physical part of the Jews, that the physical existence of the Jewish people was spared, was saved from the clutches of Haman. And therefore her emphasis was, and therefore her request, that it should be read. What is reading? Reading actually is an action. It's an action. We know, according to Halacha, that when you read, for example, davening, or the same is this true with Megillah, you have to actually move your lips. And you not only move your lips, but also you move your vocal cords. That's a form of action. Albeit a minor form of action, but it's a form of action. In other words, to her, the very observance of Purim cannot just be something which triggers a spiritual reaction or, or a, a reflection, so to speak, something that, that is um, confined to the mind, to the thought of the person. She actually wanted it to necessitate an actual physical thing that should take place. Reading of the Megillah is a physical action. Then she took it even a step further that it should not only be something which you read and you do a minor action by, by moving your lips, by moving your vocal cords. Rather, it should be something which becomes so physical that there is ink connected with a cloth, with a parchment, that it becomes actual, an object, a physical object, which carries the story of Purim. And only from there should you be able to read the story of Purim, as is the halacha.
And now we can understand also why Mordechai, in the one hand, on his own, requested one thing, but later, as being part of the Sanhedrin, he agreed, he concurred, and therefore established that which which Esther had requested, alongside all the other members of the Sanhedrin. How is that possible? The answer is, Mordechai, as himself, as being Mordechai, when he looked at a Yid, when he observed the Jews, when he takes in the situation, what does he see? He sees the neshama of the Yid. He sees the soul of the Jew. And as far as the soul is concerned, that is a very spiritual thing. That needs to be celebrated in a spiritual manner. And therefore the objective and, and, the, and the accomplishment, so to speak, of the miracle is the spiritual aspect of it. The fact that the Yidin were connected to the Torah. The fact that the, this completed, this emphasized the receiving of the Torah. Whereas Mordechai, as he is part of the Sanhedrin, Mordechai, when he's sitting with his colleagues in the Sanhedrin, what is the purpose of a Sanhedrin? What is the objective? Their task is to paskin halachis, to implement laws down here in this Olam Hazea Kashmi, in this Kashmi Yisdika world. In other words, there he's wearing a different hat. There he's wearing the hat in which he sees the Yid as the Yid stands, so to speak, with his feet on the ground. As the Yid is an Ishama, but in a body. And therefore, Mordechai is able to see, and in fact he sees also the bodies of the Jewish people. There, in that, so to speak, in that level, in that plane, he could and he does agree with Esther's request, which is to establish it also in a way that there is a physical content, that there's a physical object which embodies the story of Purim, namely the Megillah Esther and the reading of the Megillah. Of course, this can give us a little uh, idea, a glimpse into our Mordechai of our generation. Now, I would actually encourage you to read, to learn the rest of the Sikha because it's a phenomenal explanation according to Hasidus, but unfortunately the time does not allow in this format to be able to dwell into it.